You know, Christmas uh, it, Christmas ought to be the one of the happiest, most joyful times of the year. Now, I do understand it would never, ever want to make light of uh, the hurt you're experiencing, the pain you may be feeling. In fact, the holiday season, that uh, sometimes that suffering, that pain comes out even stronger, and I, and I understand that. But, but really, the season itself, everything being equal ought to be a time of real joy. Do you, do you know any Scrooges, though, people who just can't have a good time at Christmas? We, we captured this uh, video, a little clip, from Santa Claus's coming to town years ago, and, and it's, it's funny. See if you know who these three people are in your life. Nah, bye, humbug. Christmas is a bother. The noise, the crowds, I really wish it were outlawed. How can they talk about Santa Claus when there's so much unhappiness in the world? Poor, misguided folks. Can you name those people in your life? You probably can. Well, this morning, we're going to be in Luke chapter 2, and we're going to see something I, I think is fantastic. And, and here's the, the, the foundation of it all. Christmas is a story of the greatest of news. It's, it's, man, Christmas is a story of tremendously good news. Luke chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 8. And it begins, it says, In the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. Now, we have a picture of where they think maybe the traditional shepherd fields were, uh, probably about three-fourths of a mile from Bethlehem, so pretty close where these guys were. In verse 9, it says, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Listen, if you're taking notes, you need to write this down. When it says the glory of the Lord shone around them, this phrase was used in the Old Testament to talk about uh, the manifest appearance of the presence of God. Did you get that? The manifest presence of God showed up to these guys while they were out there working. And it's always easy for the angel to say, don't be afraid, isn't it? Verse 10, and the angel said to them, fear not, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Now, I want to show you some some, some great things of this verse. He says, fear not. Behold, I bring you good news. That word good news there, that phrase means to evangelize or to proclaim. He said, listen, I've got a message I want to proclaim to you. It's of great, he uses the word exuberant, I mean exalt. It's tremendously, whatever it is, this is a tremendous thing. It's news of great, tremendous joy. The word joy means rejoicing. Again, it means exuberance, it means exaltation. That will be for all the people. So the angel's saying, listen, he goes, guys, I'm proclaiming to you, I've got news for you that is unbelievably wonderful. It is tremendously positive, and it's not just for this group or that group or this person or that person. It is for all the people. Right there, that lets you know Christmas is a pretty good thing, isn't it? And then we roll into verse 11. In verse 11, it says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, you see that little phrase in the English Standard Version, for unto you? It's almost like he's emphasizing to them again, this is a message for you. Now, the shepherds, here's what we know about the shepherds. 2,000 years ago, shepherds were not considered very high on the social or religious scale. 
In fact, it, some documents say that a shepherd, you couldn't use them as a testimony or to testify in court because they were so unreliable. They were known to be dishonest. They would travel from field to field, and they would take tools from one person's field into another person's field. They, uh, many of them were under what was called the rabbinic band. In other words, their synagogue, the rabbis, the leaders of their synagogue, local, we would say local church, wouldn't even allow them to participate because they couldn't be in uh, the synagogue much. They couldn't keep a lot of the ceremonial hand washings. These were lower class workers who were not looked upon well at all in this time. And yet the news of Jesus being born came to them first. Hey, it's for everybody. It's for you. The Savior was going to be born in the town of David. That's Bethlehem. That was what had been prophesied. He's saying, listen, that the Savior's been born in the town of David. He is a Savior. The word Savior is a Hebrew word that means a deliverer. Now, what, what's interesting is that the Romans called their Caesar, their king, the Savior. So he's saying the, sa- the real Savior on a different level, on a greater level, has been born. He is Christ. Now, th- the Christ means anointed one. The, the Hebrew uh, Old Testament, that was the Messiah. The Jews were looking for the Messiah. And now they're told that the Messiah, the anointed one of God, has been born. He is the Lord. The word Lord is used in the Old Testament to refer to God the Father. So the angels are saying, guys, here's some unbelievable news. The promised Messiah, the Christ, the Savior, the one who can save you. God in the flesh has been born. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? And in verse 12, look in verse 12, it says, And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. You know, since I was a little bitty kid, swaddling clothes is always confusing. That's just strips of cloth. That's how they made a diaper. Now, lying in a manger, a manger was a cattle feeder. How many of you find it unusual that God is born in the flesh and his baby bed is a cattle trough? Uh, That makes it uh, a little bit different, doesn't it? I love the story of a little boy came home, five-year-old, he came home from church and He told his mom, Mama, I know that Jesus was Swedish. He was Swedish. He said, what do you mean Jesus was Swedish? We sang in Sunday school this morning, away in a manger, no crib for a bed. Lay down the little Lord Jesus, lay down his Swede head. Come on. Okay, we can make this bad if y'all want to make it bad. We can make it fun. Verse 13 and 14, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Peace among people who are right with God. What, a, what an unbelievable thing. Folks, here's, here's what Christmas is about. Christmas is about Jesus who had been promised leaving heaven leaving the glory of heaven, but not his deity, and coming to earth and being born to save us, to to offer forgiveness for us, to offer a better life for us, to deliver us from ourselves, to give us peace, to give us life here, and to give us a life forever in heaven. That's great news, isn't it? It is great, great news. I read this week in America, and I thought this was pretty good for the way Americans, the way we've acted recently. 92% celebrate Christmas. That's pretty good. And and then I thought this tag-on was interesting. 96% of people who say they're Christians celebrate Christmas. Why wouldn't you celebrate Christmas if you believe in Jesus Christ? Amen? Man, what great news. Listen, and it's personal. It's personal. 
It's for all people. For unto you a Savior, a Deliverer, a Healer, a Redeemer, a Lord has been born. Man, that's some of the greatest news ever. Now, here's, here's the second part of this. I want to ask you, have you truly experienced the Christ of Christmas? Have you had an experience with, with the Christ that we celebrate this Christmas? Now, see, here's, here's what happens to so many of us, especially in the South. We, we've, we've touched a little bit of Jesus. We've heard about him. We know about him. Maybe we've joined a church. We've been baptized. We've just never truly experienced him and had a life-altering experience. The Bible says when you experience Christ, it's like being born again. It's like a second birth. Look at these, these shepherds, how great this story is. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Now, it's interesting, the religious leaders... We're told in Matthew chapter 2, they knew Jesus had been born and where he'd been born. They, they just didn't care. They, they didn't make an effort to go four or five miles down from Jerusalem to Bethlehem to see him. The, the shepherds did. In verse 16, and they went with haste and Mary and Joseph and, the, and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. With haste meant they got up and got it. In other words, when they realized what had just happened, they said, we're going right now to see this Jesus Christ. We're going right now to see what has happened. And it says they found Mary and the baby. Th- that implies there was a search. In other words, it wasn't just super easy. There wasn't like a s- sign outside of the barn, here lies baby Jesus. They had to make an effort to get to him. Now, not in a physical sense, but in a spiritual sense, you may have to make an effort to get to Jesus this morning. You may have to swallow a lot of pride. You may have to not worry about what your husband or wife or your kids or your parents or family and friends are going to think. You may have to really push yourself out of your comfort zone to find Christ. But I want to tell you, he's worth finding. And we go on in verse 17. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that they'd been told concerning the child. Now, I'm reading from the English Standard Version today. And that little phrase, they saw it concerns me. Other translations say they saw him. Now, I think both translations are correct. Let me tell you what saw it means. I think saw it, what that means is they saw the, the Christmas scene there. They saw Joseph. They saw Mary. They saw the cows. They saw baby Jesus. They saw the Christmas scene. Jesus is not an it, some uh, object. They saw the Christmas scene. And I think to understand that they saw him is very correct too. Now, here's the difference. The, the biblical word there, to see someone, means more than just to see with the eyes. It means to see with the eyes and the heart. Folks, they had an experience with Jesus Christ at the manger. They didn't just go and leave like so many people sadly will do in, in, in churches across the world today. We'll come, we'll hear, we'll, we'll, we'll see a little bit, maybe a little bit, and then we go, and it hasn't affected us at all. They went in, they saw Jesus, and they left, and they were never the same. How many of you, if you went home today, and you found out that a great uncle you did not know died and left you $10 million, how many of you would that affect your head and your heart? 
Every stinking one of you, it would. It, it would not only move you, your, your head, it would, it would be joyful, it would be impactful. That's what having a relationship with Jesus is like. Folks, Jesus can give you something nobody else can give. About 27 years, 20 to 27 years before Jesus was born, the Roman emperor had declared what was called the Pax Romana over the Roman Empire. And what that meant was Roman peace, that there would be no war at land or sea during this era. But Epictetus, who was a Stoic philosopher, said about this, he said, the king can declare that there is no war, but no king can give you peace in your mind and heart. Only Jesus can do that. You see, what you need if you don't have this more than anything else today is to push your religion aside, push your, I'm a church member, which is a good thing, or I've been baptized, which is a good thing, aside and have a real experience with Jesus, to experience his forgiveness, to experience a new life and a fresh start and experience his love. And you ought to not let anything get in your way of that happening. Billy Graham, who preached all over the world, was asked one time, was he ever afraid at a crusade of his? And he said, one time. He said he was preaching in Russia, and they gave the invitation, if you would like to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, to come forward. And people began to run down the aisles. They were running from the balcony to the stairs down the aisles. He said he was literally afraid people were going to get crushed down at the, at the altar. Folks, I'd love to see somebody trot down the aisle this morning <laughs> or just move quickly. But let me ask you something. And God is speaking to some of your hearts right now. You're feeling that uncomfortableness, that tension, that boom, boom, boom. Why why would you not do everything you can before you leave here to make sure you're right with Christ? To have an encounter with him. To find that peace and that life that only he can give. If you've never experienced the Christ of Christmas, you need to this morning. And, And what unfolds from that is this. If you've experienced him, share him. And, and I, I'm going to say this several times. If you don't share Christ with other people, my deep fear is you've never experienced Christ because you can't be touched by Christ and not, it, it comes out of you. It just comes out of you. Look at these guys, these unsophisticated, uneducated guys, not religious leaders at all. Verse 17, when they saw it, when they saw Jesus, encountered Jesus, they made known the saying that they had been told concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told. Who did they tell? Well, they told Joseph and Mary. They probably told everybody they bumped into around Bethlehem. Some scholars believe they may have even gone and went in Jerusalem and told the priest and told the leaders there at the temple, which probably was greatly ignored. Verse 19, but Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. And it was just as they had been told. Folks, man, let me me tell you something. You need to experience Christ And if you've experienced him, one of the reasons God has left you on this planet is to share him, 
is to share Christ. Second Corinthians 5, and I'm going to go through this pretty quick. Verse 17 through 20. Listen to what it says. If anyone is in Christ, had an experience, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, everything becomes new. Isn't that great? God gives you a complete fresh start. Isn't that wonderful? Verse 18. All of this is from Christ who reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, reconciliation there is not talking about people to people or gender to gender, race to race, as good as those are. That's talking about helping people be reconciled or made right with God. Verse 19, and that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses, their sins against them, and he has entrusted to you and me the message of reconciliation. In verse 20, we are God's ambassadors. God's making his appeal through you. We beg you on behalf of Christ, get right with God. Whose job is it to share the message of Jesus? Is it the pastor's? Absolutely. Is it yours? Absolutely. I hope this video works. I want you to see a video from the old Andy Griffith show that talks about responsibility. Okay, it's not working, so let me explain it to you. It really is funny. I promise you, it's funnier than I'm going to tell it. But Barney and Gomer, y'all, are y'all familiar with Andy Griffith, Barney and Gomer? This ought to be taught in college. This, this is really a, a good class. But they have deputized Gomer, which is a mistake. Would you agree with that if you know, you know, and so, so they're on a stakeout and they discover the bad guys, which is not good. Remember, Barney has how many bullets? He has one. And, and so... They panic, which you, you can imagine Gomer and Barney are going to panic. And then Gomer says, we need to call the police. And Barney in his broken, scared voice says, we are the police. You are the missionary. Well, I'm going to call my preacher. Call me. I'll do anything I can to help. You're supposed to be telling people about Jesus. Did you know that? We are God's ambassadors. That's not just to reverence. That, that's to all of us. We're, we're all the police. L- listen to some of these figures. In America, experts think three out of four people that you see are lost. Three out of four people that you see, if they died today, would spend eternity in hell. L- listen to this worldwide. There's 7.4 billion people in our world. People who study this stuff estimate between 89 and 90% of those people are not Christ followers, don't know Jesus. You do the math on how many people, that it's incredible. Yet Tom Rainer, who's the president of Lifeway, a Christian resource center, said that 92% of Southern Baptists, which our church is associated with the Southern Baptists, who profess to be Christians will live and die and never bring another person to Jesus Christ. We have missed it, haven't we? We, we, have, we have missed it completely. It, it kind of reminds me of a terrible story that happened in 1985 in New Orleans. The city, this part's not terrible, but the city of New Orleans, the city pools in 1985 for the first time in their history went a whole summer with no one drowning. 
And so the lifeguards got together to have a party. It was 100 lifeguards together, certified lifeguards. Great party, celebrate nobody drowning. At the end of the night, they found someone in the pool where they were having the party, the bottom of the pool, who had drowned and died. You know, Rustin, there's a church on every corner. And, and everybody you meet in Rustin just about is going to tell you they go to church, aren't they? If, if they did, every church would be like running 3,000. But that's not happening. But yet, we don't see people by the floods coming to Christ. I, I, I tell you, one of, the, one of my pet peeves is I hear a church says this. A church says, we don't, we're not into evangelism. We just worship and disciple people. So you cut out part of the Great Commission there, don't you? Isn't that neat? I think we're going to be a church that just doesn't take up the offering anymore. Wouldn't y'all like that? So all your ministers will be volunteer within three to six months. Uh, listen, a church that doesn't evangelize not only will fossilize, it's not a true church. It's just a Bible study. And a Christian who says, well, evangelism is just not my thing, has missed the mark of why God has left you here. Several weeks ago on a Wednesday night, I preached a sermon about being a table setter. And in that sermon, I said, listen, we don't bring revival. God brings revival. I can't save anybody. God saves people. But what's our part in it? Let me share with you some verses. Proverbs eleven thirty. It says, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And whoever captures, don't you like that word? Who wins souls is wise. In 1 Corinthians nine twenty two, Paul says, to the weak I became weak that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people that I might save some. Now, does Paul save people? Isn't that kind of an interesting verbiage there that he's using? Folks, here's the deal. The Holy Spirit convicts people. And Jesus saves people. But they have to say yes, and someone's got to bring them to Jesus. Romans 10, 13 is maybe my favorite verse in the Bible. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Isn't that a great verse? But we forget verse 14. Verse 14 says, how can they call on whom they've not believed? How can they believe in whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them or teaching to them? Here's our part. Here's what God's left you and me here to do. I don't save people. I can't save people. But I experience Christ. I keep experiencing Christ day in and day out. I start trying to live my life to affect people. Some people stop there. Well, I don't tell. I just live. The Bible says they can't be saved unless someone shares it. Didn't the Bible just say that? Sure, it said that. So I live it. I experience it. I pray for my friends who don't know Christ. I invite them to church to let my preachers and ministers work on them. I let the Holy Spirit convict them. And then I share with them. I lay it out what you must do to be saved. I'll lead them through a sinner's prayer if that's what it takes. I will beg you to come to Christ. I'm not going to beg you to do very much but I will beg you to come to Christ. Because Paul said, we implore you, we beg you. Well, that's our part. The Spirit convicts. They've got to say, yes, and Jesus saves. But do you see we are the hands and feet in the mouth of God? Do you see that? The shepherds got it. And we're going to be around people at Christmas that don't know Christ. And we're going to make excuses, well, that's my family, They're, they were baptized when they were little, or, or, you know, we like them. What? They don't know Christ. 
They haven't lived for Christ in 30, 40 years, and we're making excuses. We're waiting on someone else to do what God has left us here to do. J.I. Packer was a, a good theologian and Bible teacher, and he said this. He said, listen, whatever you feel your Christian service is, it's not an excuse not to share Christ. Some people say, well, I just sing. That's what I do. That's great. I just preach, or I, I just, I, you know, I lead a Bible study, or I serve. I, don't, I just don't share Christ. That's not my thing. You can't pull yourself out of the equation Do all those things. That's great. But you have to share Christ with other people. And if you've experienced him, you'll want to share him. How many of you remember back in 2010? It was August 2010 when 33 miners in Chile got trapped underground. Do you remember that story? They They were about 230 feet under dirt and rock. And there was zero chance that they were going to save themselves. They absolutely could not save themselves. They were not going to rescue themselves. But miraculously, two months later, they were saved because of the work of a lot of people and a lot of prayers. They were saved. All of them. You came here this morning and maybe you thought you were a Christian or maybe truth is, you, you're pretty sure you're not. You can't save yourself. But Jesus can save you. And I hope he's using me as his mouthpiece right now to say, I'm reaching out. I'm sharing the story. You can come down here and one of my ministers, I will walk you through the plan to come to Christ. You can't save yourself, but Jesus can save you this morning. And we're digging the hole and putting our hand down in there for you to reach you. That's great news, isn't it? Christians, again, you're going to be around family members and friends in the next week. They can't save themselves. Some of them don't even know they're lost. They're covered under 200 feet of sin and, and, and confusion and hurt and, and pain. And they need somebody to dig through that stuff and to love them enough to be persistent enough to finally get down there and grab their hand and say, you can come out of there if you want to. Will you be that person? Let's pray. This morning, if you're, if you're a Christian, I pray you will embrace the joy of Christmas and that you, I'll talk to you more in a moment about committing to share your story. You're here today and you're not a Christian. You're unsure if you're a Christian. You're ready today to cross that line with Jesus. I invite you to pray with me. My words aren't magic, but you say sincerely this to Christ. He'll save you. Just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I want to repent of my sins. And Jesus, I believe that you're God's son and that you died and arose for me. Come into my heart, Jesus. And I surrender my life to you. Let me have your attention just for a moment. Here's what I want you to do. When we stand, maybe you just prayed and and you uh, asked Christ in your heart. 
Are you ready to do that? You're at that point where you're ready to do that. Listen, you, you're shy, catch me after church over here. If you're ready and you're willing, when we stand, you come. Get a family member or friend to come with you. Come and give your life to Christ today. You've got an opportunity now. You may not have it again. You've got it now. Take advantage of it. Maybe you'd like to join our church. You can do that after church. Or when we stand in a moment, you can come and join us. You need a church family. Come and join us. Maybe today as a Christian, God's spoken to your heart. Maybe it would just be where you're standing. Or maybe you do want to leave your seat and come to the altar and, and get on your knees to pray for someone or pray for a minister and make a commitment to rejoice in this season and spend the rest of your life trying to help as many people as you can come to Christ. Let's stand and let's respond to Jesus.